0: Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Andrea Pearson.
1: And I'm Joe Lello.
0: And our guest this week is Ricardo Fayette, one of the co-founders of ReadSea, a site that provides author tools, a blog and podcast filled with advice on marketing, and a marketplace that lists vetted editors, cover designers, website designers, and other professionals that may be useful to you as an author. Ricardo attends a lot of publishing conferences, and he does most of the marketing for Readsy as well as running ads for private author clients. So we're going to be asking about marketing tips, how and why to get reviews, because Readsy also has a Readsy Discovery uh, for getting reviews, and also about SEO and advertising. Hey, welcome to the show, Ricardo. How are you doing?
2: Thank you for having me. I'm I'm really good. And yeah, that's a lot of topics to to talk about.
0: (laughs) We'll just keep you for three or four hours. It'll be okay. (laughs) Uh, did I miss anything? Do you wanna tell us about yourself and ReadSe? Um
2: yeah, sure. I mean we we started so we we're four co founders at Reitsi and we started around four or five years ago. Um and I mean the whole idea as you as you put it was uh was to connect authors with a vetted network of really good editors, cover designers, marketers, website designers. Uh we just added translators this week. Um so we have those in as well. Pretty much anyone that an author would need to hear at uh, would need to hire at any point throughout their their author career. That was that was and is the the core idea of uh, of Rizzi.
0: And am I right that you're not an author yourself? How did you decide to get into the author side of thing or author business?
2: So I keep saying I'm going to write a book just to have a good answer to that. Uh, but no, I'm not an author yet. Um, we got into this because my co-founder Emmanuel had heard about self-publishing. And we just started learning about it more from a reader perspective. And then we started thinking about what it meant for authors and possibilities. And we had this idea for a marketplace and we thought, hey, it's a cool idea. We should we should try it. And everyone we had a chat with at that point, uh, Joanna Penn and a bunch of other uh, early self-publishers told us that it was a good idea. So we, we tried it and it's going okay.
3: That's really awesome. And I think a lot of authors have actually heard the word, the name Readsie, but I'm going to assume that not very many are totally familiar with everything Readsie offers. Um, Would you like to just give just a brief overview of that? And then you can also talk about how Readsie has evolved over the years.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, And and that's totally the idea. I think everyone knows us for something different uh, and we're, we're fine with that. Um, So as I said, we started with this core idea of a marketplace and we started with just editing and design services because everyone, every author is going to need that, uh, we think. Every author or the vast majority of authors are going to need at least an editor and a a good cover designer. Then we thought about additional services, we added publicity, which we're not 100% happy with because it only makes sense for very specific nonfiction topics. So we added book marketing with marketing experts, uh, so more about ads um email marketing uh price promotions things like that and uh, then we had a translation website design and the the issue for us from a marketing standpoint is that authors only came to us when they needed a particular service and we wanted authors to be aware of reci at earlier points in their career so we started a blog with writing advice that we sourced mostly from our uh, from our professional editors in the beginning, and then we added more writers. Um, we started adding creating learning courses. So these are free 10-day courses about pretty much any topic. We've got a ton of uh, courses on craft, uh, on editing, and a lot of courses on marketing. So I've written a course on Facebook ads because I run those for Etsy and for private authors. Uh, on Amazon ads, we've got a course from uh, David Gogran on web ads. Um, course, I'm creating a newsletter as well. So we try to provide basically as much free content as possible uh, to to draw authors in uh, and show them the value of ReadSea, and then let them know, hey, if at any point you need to hire anyone, then think about our marketplace. Uh, same tactic that authors use with uh, reader magnets, I think, uh, providing free content to readers, uh, showing their value, and then if readers want to pay to get their to get their full price books, then they do that.
1: All right, and it sounds like—I mean, the—it the, seems like the services you're providing are obviously uh, useful for authors of all levels. But it seems like, particularly if you're, this might appeal more to a, an established author who's more aware of all of the the things that he needs. Like, do authors of all levels get value out of out of Reti, Do you think? Um,
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think we actually. Probably a, the majority of authors on ReadSee are going for editing and design services. So these are authors who are earlier in their career, obviously, because they don't have their editor, they don't have their cover designer. Um, and then the other types of services or for authors who are more aware, who are more advanced uh, in their career. We we try, it's, it's really hard, uh, but we try to provide content and value to authors at all stages. And that makes it really hard, even for us, to keep track of everything we do um so i I do a thursday weekly newsletter with i try more advanced tips around marketing uh, but most of our other newsletters are going to be about more uh, more basic stuff Um, so we try to provide content at all stages and we try to yeah we try to segment our list so that we don't send advanced marketing topics to authors who are just starting out
1: now one of the things about uh especially editing and, and, uh, and like cover design services, is there can be a tremendously wide range of costs. Like, Are those represented there as well? Like You mentioned that you do vetted, so I would imagine that knocks out some of the really low-end stuff, but is there still affordable for the full range of authors
2: as well? i definitely say it's going to be top-of-the-market stuff. Um, so when we say vetted for editing, we almost only look at editors with past uh, traditional publishing experience. If we go for full for author, for editors who work only with indie authors, um, we try to make sure that they've worked with big names uh, in the industry and the genre, and we go for genre-specialized editors as well. The more, the, the more specialized, the better. Their prices are definitely gonna be on the higher end of the market. Uh, we actually got a blog post with average prices that we see on our marketplace that received a lot of uh, equal praise and criticism uh, because, Yeah, it showed that our prices are on the higher end of the market. Um, So it's not, I wouldn't say it's a place where you come to make a bargain. You can find some bargains on ReetSea, but they're rare. Um, And on the other hand, it's uh, definitely a marketplace that makes it a lot easier for high-end professionals to be on because they know they're not going to be competing against uh, someone who's just like cutting their prices because they're starting out.
0: So, we wanted to ask you a few questions about reviews since uh, that is one of the services yep. you guys have too. And we actually haven't talked about it too much yet on the show. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of reviews and selling books and maybe getting advertising opportunities?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I hate, I kind of hate the importance of reviews, but they, they, they are pretty important. Uh, whenever I, I work on ads for an author, the first thing I do is I go through their reviews, uh, both editorial and customer and trying to find cool sounding reviews and short blurbs there that I can use as headline or like text in the ads. Um, so that's a very simple, uh, example of where reviews become really useful. And I found that these tend to be the best, uh, the best converting text uh, on ads. And yeah, we started a service called Reach Discovery. Uh, it's, it's, it's a new service. We have really high ambitions and, and hope for it. Um, but right now the idea is you submit a, bu- uh, a book and you pay $50 for that. It's a book that should be just launched or, uh, or on pre-order. And what we do is we make it available to a pool of certified reviewers. So again, again, that's, uh, people with curated who generally have a blog on the side who do not professional, but semi-professional reviews. And the book can get can get picked up by a reviewer, by one reviewer only for now. Uh, so when if a reviewer picks it up, they have to leave a review before the book launches. And we basically launch the book on our platform and make it available to readers along with its review um, on, on the day of the launch. And readers on our platform can upvote the books that launch every day. Um, so we have lower competition. Uh, authors can invite their readership to, to leave upvotes and the most generally the most upvoted books and uh, with the best reviews make it into our weekly uh, newsletter that goes to tens of thousands of readers right now. So we're not, we're not bookbub. We don't have millions to spend on Facebook ads to build like lists with millions of readers in every genre. Uh, we're also not going for the price promotion angle. So we don't have huge lists. Uh, but we're trying to add the the human curation element of like semi-professional reviewers to try to cultivate a, a different kind of readership um, so it's going slowly but it's definitely going well uh, for now so I'd encourage authors to to at least give it a try uh, i'll say that there's a big risk element because you pay 50 bucks whether uh, regardless of whether you get a review or not and regardless of whether the review is positive or not and we actually encourage our reviewers to not do only five-star reviews to balance slim. Um, so there's a risk element which makes it very different from any other platform out there. So I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to point that out.
0: All right. I actually submitted a book, but just a couple of days ago, I think there's about a five week. Uh, it'll be, you know, it takes a few weeks yeah. for the reviewers to get it and stuff. So I'll let people know if I get one star, obviously a uh, thumbs down for <laughs> discovery. <No. laughs> um, but uh, do you have any ideas, too, on what you see authors doing that's effective also for getting reviews like on Amazon and Goodreads and some of the sites where people are out buying books, hopefully?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think there. Are, so the way I see it, there are two kind of reviews. There are the organic reviews that come with sales. And so the only way to get those is to get sales and to have something at the end of the book. Asking the reader for a review or a reader magnet, signing people onto your newsletter so, you, so that you can then send them an email to ask for a review, um, and then there are the reviews that you need at launch. So generally, when I work with uh, with clients, I tell them that they they, tr- they should try to get at least around 20 reviews uh, before they launch a book and those are generally achieved through a street team so uh building a team of either beta readers or advanced review readers uh to whom you send your book ahead of uh, ahead of time and the strategy that i like to use is launching the paperback on amazon around a week uh earlier uh than the than the ebook so that the readers can already post the reviews on there and when the ebook launches Uh, you already have like 20, 30 reviews from those people. They're not going to be verified purchase reviews, but since you won't have any verified purchase reviews on Amazon, they'll show up first Uh, anyway, and then you'll start getting the organic verified uh, purchase reviews afterwards. Um, So that's kind of the strategy that I I like to use, and that works pretty well for for the clients I've had so far.
3: So kind of going off of that... um Oops, I just muted my mic. <laughs> <laughs> Unmuted now. Um, is it better to get reviews from people who are already familiar with your books? Or, I mean, would you say it's fine? I mean, obviously, you would say it's fine to go with people who are not currently familiar. But which tend to be easier to get and which would be better for an author?
2: Um, so I work mostly with, with authors who are starting a new, a new brand. Uh, or starting in a new genre. So they didn't really have a a readership there. I'd say that you're always gonna get reviews from your fans, they're gonna do it organically. So you should strive to get reviews from people who don't necessarily post them. Um, What you should make sure is if you're in the earlier stages, uh, not not to ask too many friends, family for reviews, because it kind of shows uh, that those reviews have been written by someone who doesn't necessarily read in that genre. Uh, I think the most powerful reviews the ones that you can really use in in blurbs and advertising and reviews that kind of use the um, use the keywords and the strong phases that are expected in your genre um that know a little bit about how books are constructed um so yeah, reviews from people who are more used to writing a review i'd say um, and genre is definitely vital
3: see that's a really good point. I actually wasn't even thinking along that line i mean i'm i've in my experience I found it's it's generally easier to get reviews from a current street team. But when you're first starting out, I mean, like you said, people who don't normally write reviews don't always know what to write. And people reading those reviews, they can tell, you know. Um, What about places like Kirkus? Are those, I mean, how, what's your philosophy on going to places like that to get
2: reviews? Uh, I think, I think Kirk is very expensive. I think most of those places are really expensive to get a review. So I, I don't think it's a hundred percent worth it. Um, the only cases in which I see them kind of work is if you're going to go for a massive advertising campaign uh, and you really want a super professional review that you can use in your ads again. Um, but I think you're better off getting that from a blogger, uh, in your genre who is on top of giving you a good review. They're gonna uh advertise that review or promote that review to their audience so you're getting a little bit more. Um so yeah instead of spending five hundred bucks on Kyrkus you can spend maybe two, three hours contacting 10, 20 bloggers. Um, but I think in general, um customer reviews are gonna be more powerful than editorial reviews. And you only can get those first three team. So that's why we kept the the price tag on Reachy Discovery pretty low because right now the the real big thing is getting a review not everyone gets it uh and as i said reviews are not worth one editorial review is not worth 500 bucks in my opinion so we keep it to 250. all right now
1: i was going to ask uh if editorial versus customer reviews is more important but you just that was customer reviews are more important so let's say that you're you're focusing on uh on customer reviews uh, does the storefront matter like should you just be shooting for i don 't care where you bought my book, review it where you bought it or should you are, are you going to be pursuing reviews in certain places
2: i'd pursue reviews on amazon mostly um, i've worked with a lot of uh, k u authors so obviously that 's the only place where they're going to look for uh for for reviews um, I think if you're really going for a wide strategy then you 're going to need reviews in different places, so you can you can try to it's hard, but you can try to segment your list uh, based on where the, where the readers purchase. Maybe try a survey in your list or something like that, or segment it based on what links they click in your newsletter. You have all the links to the different stores. And if you have a reader who always clicks on the Kobo link, you type them as a Kobo author and then maybe you send um, a Kobo reader and then you send a newsletter to Kobo readers asking for reviews if you're liking them on that particular store. Um, I've seen example of authors doing um, giveaways uh, on like gift cards on different stores uh, to encourage people to leave a review. Obviously, that's against most uh, stores' terms of service. But if done by email, the store is not going to find out. So it's up to you to see whether you want to be in the gray zone, black zone. Yeah, that's just I'll mention it as a strategy without endorsing it. And. Yeah, that's, that's mostly it. for me, for me personally, I don't, mm, I don't care if there's, I don't need an editorial review as long as the customer reviews are solid. As I mentioned, if they're from people who know how to write a review, then it's very easy to take like short excerpts from those reviews and use them in ads. Uh, if we're lacking those, uh, if all the reviews on the stores are a great book, I uh, love that reads, I read it in a, in one night, then investing in it or a review might be worth it just to have that snippetable extract uh, excerpt that you can use in ads.
0: You can always do the thing where even if the review wasn't entirely flattering, (laughs) you just snip out a little bit where it sounds good there. (laughs) Yeah, I've definitely found that just asking for reviews is the end of the book and it seems like it doubles how many you actually get because not everybody really thinks of it, but if you say like, hey, it would really help me out as a newer author or as I'm launching a new series to go leave a review. And a lot of people never ask and they're like, why don't I have any reviews? (laughs) So we wanted to ask too about, uh, I think you've mentioned before, I've heard you say that in building Readsy and, you know, really increasing the traffic to that site, you use search engine optimization to uh, make sure if you have something people are looking for, they can find it. Can you talk about that a little bit? Is it something we should be paying attention to as authors?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think I did my last uh, Ning presentation on on search engine optimization. So I do think it's something authors should pay attention to. Uh, I also do think it's a lot more relevant to nonfiction authors and fiction authors, um, obviously. But yeah, the little story on ReadSea is that we had a blog since the very beginning because we were told that, yeah, every company in publishing should have a blog. So we started it. Um, Not a lot of people were reading it. I think we had. 150 or 200 weekly hits, uh, or something like that, which is nice. Um, But we kept investing a lot of uh, resources on the blog, and not a lot of people were reading it. So we came across this uh, this SEO strategy on a blog um, that on a blog post I read that was about creating a very a very long post about a very specific topic using data, using an infographic, basically creating a very very Long and strong piece of content that answers a very precise uh, question, and that was how it how much it costs to self-publish a book because we actually had data on the cost of editing, the cost of design. Uh, Obviously, that data was end of up uh, up market stuff, but it was still uh, relevant data that almost no one else uh, has out there. So we put that out there. um, We optimized it for how much does it cost to self-publish a book. Uh, we reached out to a bunch of partners. Uh, we got a guest post, I think, in Media Bistro, Publishing Perspectives, et cetera, all places um, that we don't necessarily care about in terms of traffic, but that are, are great for SEO. And that post ranked very quickly number one for how much does it cost to publish a book, and cost of self publishing, and cost of publishing, and things like that. So that showed us kind of the way uh, and we replicated that strategy. Um, and now I think the number one way in which authors come across us at any stage of the, of the publishing, uh, process is, uh, through Googling something that has nothing to do about editing or design or the services that we offer. Um, so yeah, if you Google book book for authors, I think you'll find me see up there. For example, if you Google how to write a novel, um, if you Google world building will be up there. So, That's kind of the strategy we followed. It's replicable for anyone writing about a specific nonfiction topic. If you write about yoga, there's a huge uh, niche that you can write about. And generally the steps are one, doing keyword research. So spending a week looking at all the keywords that have volume in your niche, uh, who is ranking for them, and what kind of content they use to rank for them. Uh, step two, deciding on a keyword um, should be a smaller one uh, so that you're not competing with the, with the big guns. And writing a post about it, doing outreach so that you get people who link back to your post. And then generally, if that works well, then start uh, building building from there.
0: It does seem with nonfiction, it's, it's a very clear path. People are going to be looking up yoga yoga mats, best yoga mats, yoga mat reviews, whereas here uh-huh. I am over here trying to promote my urban fantasy. Is there, like I usually, if I put up a short story on my blog, I'm like, an, you know, title an urban fantasy short story, and I put it in the URL <laughs> and somewhere in the post. Do you think that there's any worth for like fiction authors to, to worry about it all if they are putting some content on their websites?
2: Yeah, there is, but you need to bend together, uh, in order to, in order to get something to rank, I think. To use your example, uh, if you're trying to rank for urban fancy short stories, it's gonna be really hard to do that on your own. I mean, you could have all your short stories in one page, uh, and title that page, urban fancy short stories, but since they're all gonna be by you, Google's gonna recognize that. Uh, and I recognize that while your short stories are real, very really great, there are probably other authors out there who have great short stories, uh, and so they're not going to place you in the first results. They're going to favor. They're going to favor a blog post by Reader's Discovery, for example, because uh, we use that tactic on there as well uh, to draw readers in. A blog post on uh, the best Urban Fantasy short stories, in which we'll list maybe twenty or thirty really good short stories from a variety of um, of Urban Fantasy authors. So I'd say. If you want to, if you want to use that tactic and if you want to fight against uh BookBub, Read to Discovery, um, Book Riot, Goodreads, etc., uh, then you definitely need kind of an author collective um, in a specific genre and go after all those genre keywords. It's definitely doable. I'm not a hundred percent sure it's worth the effort. Uh, but if you manage to get those rankings, SEO is low to build up, but then it's, it's also low to disappear, um, so you can read the efforts, read the results of the efforts for several years afterwards.
1: Now, if if you got into web design fairly early on, uh, then you would interpret SEO in some ways as like stuff that you put into the headers and metadata of your page. And uh, it sounds like a lot of what SEO is now is is uh, a lot more complex than that. So like how much of this is sculpting the content of your page and the thing that's coming to you know, the traffic that's coming toward it versus literally just settings that you're, you're marking down and making sure those things are right.
2: Yeah, SEO is uh, is becoming incredibly complicated because there are thousands of ranking factors on Google. Um, so I can't i can tell you you need to be doing those three things in order to get something ranked for for a keyword uh because there are thousands of ranking factors i think the the times of like blasting a page with meta keywords uh in order to getting in order to get ranked for those keywords is definitely over google doesn't even look at meta keywords anymore um now it's more, Google is smarter and is trying and is developing uh, machine learning capabilities to basically think more like a human. Uh, they try to identify when people search for a term in particular, for example, if, if they search for urban fantasy, Google's going to try to guess based on what people do afterwards, what they click on, how much time they spend on the page, et etc. They're going to try to identify the search intent. And the search intent is basically if I search for urban fantasy, what am I looking for? Am I looking for a definition of urban fantasy? Am I looking for the best urban fantasy books? Am I looking for free urban fantasy books? Am I looking for short stories? Um, and probably if you Google that, you're gonna get a mix, I'm guessing, uh, of fantasy, urban fantasy definitions and lists of urban fantasy books. Because Google has seen that the searches, the search intent, intent is very divided. Maybe half the people who are searching it are looking for a definition, and the other half are looking for a list of books. Um, so yeah, there's machine learning. Uh, it's also important. So it's important to match your search intent. It's important uh, to have a page that loads very quickly. It's important to have a page that's optimized for mobile. So the cheap tactics, uh, web design tactics that worked before don't work anymore, but web design is still as important as ever. More in terms of user experience. Um, page that loads fast, page that's optimized for mobile, uh, page that keeps uh, people on it. Uh, the longer people stay on your on your page, the more Google is going to think that this was a relevant result to, to show to the searchers. And yeah, that's, that's mostly it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's definitely evolved. I used to have to pay attention to that stuff for work, but I, I stopped like 10 years ago when I switched to the author side. <laughs> it's more fun just writing stories. Um, so we were talking about SEO as far as Google goes since that's a big search engine, but of course Amazon has its own internal search engine. Is there anything we can be doing on our book pages that may help if people search for urban fantasy on Amazon,
3: for example?
2: Yeah, there definitely is. Uh, I think... Uh yeah, Dave Chesson did a presentation at Ning about that, and he's putting out a lot of uh, really good content at Kindlepreneur about that. Um, I like to th- say that the Amazon algorithms are pretty much where Google's were uh, five, 10 years ago. Uh, so you still have meta keywords that are heavily, that are very important uh, for ranking on Amazon. You have categories, um, The book descriptions are indexed, so if you put keywords in there, Amazon is going to use those as well to a certain extent. So it's very, compared to Google, it's a very, very basic uh, algorithm. And because of that, it gets gamed a lot, uh, sadly. Uh, Also, because it's influenced, yeah, the thing about the Amazon algorithms, there there are several of them, is that they're influenced mostly by one metric, and that's sales. The same way Google's algorithms ten years ago were influenced mostly by one metric, which was backlinks, so links from other websites to yours, to your piece of content. Uh, Amazon's algorithms depend on sales mostly, so you can the best thing you can do is get sales, um, and the other things obviously keywords. A uh, little tip around keywords is um, you have seven those seven keyword boxes. Uh, you can actually write phrases in them. And the, all the keywords in your phrase are going to be indexed individually and as a group as well. So if instead of putting urban fancy, you can put like, uh, I don't know if it's going to, if it's going to be too long or not, but female protagonist, dragon, urban fantasy. And just with that box, that's going to get your book indexed, uh, for dragon, fan, dragon, urban fantasy, female protagonist, dragon, urban fantasy, et cetera all the combinations in there so that you you save up on space and you can uh, get indexed for more keywords. I'll say though that exact matches are still rewarded by Amazon. So with an equal number of sales, someone who has Dragon Fantasy as an exact keyword, so as one of the seven, is gonna get better rank for Dragon Fantasy than someone who has Dragon Fantasy as part of the longer phrase keyword like uh, Urban Fantasy, Dragon Female Protagonist, for example. Uh, so that's a little thing um, about about keywords. But again, I think it's more relevant for nonfiction than than fiction because there are going to be more searches on the nonfiction end. For example, again, yoga yoga books. Uh, there's going to be more searches for that probably, um, or other niche nonfiction topics than big fiction, uh, where people users browse more by category or bestseller list or things like that.
3: Yeah, um, good point on that. Um, Okay, so just continuing and talking about Amazon, um, they're pretty picky about what authors put in their descriptions. Uh, do you have any tips for navig- navigating that?
2: And what are some do's and don'ts? The book description, I think for me, the number one goal of a book description is to sell the book. So it's got to hook the reader. And you sh- I wouldn't think too much about search engine optimization uh, on Amazon about hitting keywords. I would just think about writing the best catchy description to sell the book. You're automatically going to put in relevant keywords to your genre in there if you do that. Um, And if you've got your your genre pretty pretty much nailed down. So that's automatically going to happen and you shouldn't really put any effort specifically into that. Otherwise, you run the risk of over-optimizing for a keyword and that's not good.
1: Now, uh, if you write in a very niche genre... Sometimes it can be tempting to cast a very wide net with your keywords and SEO, with things that might not directly be appropriate to your product. How careful should we be with that? And, and is there a danger in, in, say, somewhat misleading somebody with what leads to your book?
2: Um, yeah, I think that the danger is whenever you're miscategorizing a book, uh the big danger is polluting the the also boats. so something david garwin's been talking about quite a bit um, but i mean in order for that to happen uh you i i wouldn't think it would happen so much with keywords because even if your keyword is slightly off your book and people search for example let's say you put dragon fantasy when there there aren't any dragons in your book um if people search for that and they and you've sold really well, so your book comes first in the results. If they click through to the book, there's no dragon on the covers. There's no mention of dragons in the book description and there's no dragon in the look-alike. They're probably not going to buy the book. So it's not going to be a big deal, uh, I think, on keywords. So it's obviously a much bigger deal in categories. If you put your book intentionally in in categories where it doesn't fit, there there you risk also about pollution and, and reader disappointment a lot more than, than by keywords. So I'd be really, really careful about the um, about categories. Um, also about cross-promotion with other authors, because that's the number one way of polluting, polluting your also-books if you're cross-promoting with an author who's not in your genre. I wouldn't be that careful about keywords uh, within reason, obviously.
0: I've definitely seen where a book's in a certain category, and then you look at one of the top critical reviews. Like, this is not magic realism. <laughs> that's all, you know. Is this a, so readers notice, <laughs> but not with the keywords because that's pretty much invisible to them.
2: Exactly. That, yeah, that's the main thing about keywords. No one, no one sees them uh, aside from from the author.
0: So you're kind of a Facebook ads guy too. I, I found like a nice hour. I'm going to call it a lecture but or webinar maybe that you did with um, Alliance of Independent Authors, I think, last May. So I'll go ahead and link to that in the show notes because there's a really good overview of everything. But we wanted to ask you a couple of questions today. Um, here in 2020, what are you finding works well with Facebook ads right now?
2: Um, so first, they work as well as they, as they used to. Uh, in my experience, I've been running them for Etsy for years now three four years and I've only I mean they've only improved for us uh, probably because we've gotten better at them so I don't think there's uh, a lot of people are saying they don't work as well as they used to and I don't think that's true um, what I'm finding works particularly well nowadays are uh, dynamic ads we're getting to a point where letting Facebook decide where to show your ads and how to show them uh, is, is really paying off uh, they're they're taking that one step further with campaign budget optimization, which i'm not a big fan of but they're gonna um, implement that for everyone I think in late February or early march so we're definitely moving towards um a form of advertising where you give Facebook a bunch of options and a bunch of like directions and then they do the job of automating uh everything for you. So it's a lot easier for the user, uh, but for for control freaks, it's a lot it's a lot harder because you give all the control to Facebook. I'll say though that um, so I've been running Google Ads as well for for Etsy, and again, that's a place where Google has been really strong as well. And I think Facebook was maybe one or two years late in comparison to Google in advertising. Um, for several years now, I could give Google. A search term uh I give Google a search term how much I'm ready to pay for a conversion in that in the, for that search term, and then they'll do everything um on their own so yeah we're, whereas two years ago, if you let facebook decide if you used automatic placements on facebook, it was a nightmare uh they'd show your facebook on the on the right um right hand side of uh, desktop uh it, yeah it really didn't work so Yeah, I'll say in the future, let Facebook decide more and more. And usually it's going to yield you better cost per click and conversion.
0: That's good. I need to check them out because I think I've noticed along with others that when you're trying to make your audiences kind of based on like other authors in your genre, it seems there's fewer than ever people they can actually target. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on that or just tips for finding audiences for those that are doing it themselves?
2: Yeah, it's. Uh, I think after the Cambridge Analytica thing, they had to remove a lot of uh, people and companies and interests as targetable interests. Uh, so you've, I've def- we've definitely lost authors in there that we could target. Um, I think there are, there are two powerful things uh, when I look for for a new author or interest targets. The first one is to go through the Amazon top fifty in in your genre, top fifty authors. And you try them as interest and you you're going to be surprised there are a few authors that you'll probably have never heard of that show as an interest God knows why uh, but it's great they're showing as an interest so you can you can try them out Another thing is to use a Facebook audience insights uh, you plug in a, a, an audience that's worked really well for you and Facebook will show you what other pages those people liked uh, so the, basically the correlation between, uh, between page likes and you can usually find a couple other targetable uh, interests through there. But I think the future is uh, moving towards um, custom audiences and lookalikes. alikes uh, One thing that I love doing with all uh, with clients is if they have a reader magnet on BookFunnel, uh, a lot of authors don't know that, but you can add your, your Facebook pixel on there uh, in the advanced settings of the BookFunnel page. So you can basically build an audience Retarget that audience and build a lookalike out of that audience for all the people who visit to your book funnel page uh, whether that's from ads or people clicking at the end of your books your reader magnet page or on your website or whatever definitely have the reader magnet the pixel on your web page as well um, and you can start getting into yeah lookalike audiences which in my experience work always always better um, what I do is Generally, the best audiences for me are look-alike of, for example, look-alike of book funnel traffic uh, and narrowed down by by Kindle, Kindle Store, Amazon Kindle, Kindle Keywords uh, as interest if I'm targeting uh, Amazon readers, obviously.
0: For people who have maybe been running Facebook ads for quite a while and feel like maybe they've exhausted some of their, their favorite art or targets or their own lookalike stuff, um, I noticed in the that webinar you mentioned like blue ocean marketing as a way to maybe find some audiences that would be receptive but aren't as obvious and maybe not as targeted as much. Could you explain that a little bit?
2: Yeah, I mean, the concept of blue blue ocean uh, marketing is is. Going to fish in a in a sea that's blue where there are a lot less uh, people fishing, so less competition. So, uh, several ways to do that. First, you can you can think of interests uh, that other people haven't thought about. So, that's the idea of going through your Amazon top hundred and going through um, uh, Facebook audience insights to find new ideas. Um, another great way is to build your own audiences. So, that's custom custom and lookalikes. I think that's the most powerful thing. Um, And the last thing is kind of tangential audiences. So for sci-fi books, for example, you got all the sci-fi movies, Star Trek, um, even sci-fi video games. I found those audiences to work really well, especially when you're giving Facebook something to optimize for. Um, So the problem with books is that often you're sending readers to a book page. And so the only thing Facebook can optimize for is a click. To that book page, and that's not enough for Facebook to identify whether the ad is working for that type of uh, person or not, because like it's very easy to click on to click on an ad. Uh, when I run ads to a reader magnet on Bookfunnel, uh, Facebook actually I optimize those for conversion, so for people who actually sign up uh, to download the reader magnet. And so there, you've got a longer funnel. You've got people have to click on the ad, land on Bookfunnel, stay on Bookfunnel. Uh, and, and sign up, and that way, if you use maybe bigger audiences that are not 100% relevant to your reader magnet, Facebook's going to auto-optimize based on the type of people that they see converting, and so you can afford to have much bigger, slightly less relevant audiences, where Facebook's just going to do the just going to guess and uh, and progressively um, show the ad to the most relevant people. Uh, So that's how you can get away with uh, less relevant audiences that because they're less relevant, all their authors are not going to be using.
3: I like that. I actually never heard of the blue ocean marketing term before. So um, I also listened to your video and I was like, oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Um, Okay. So is there ever a case where hiring someone to do do book marketing for you would be a good idea?
2: Um, Yeah, I think... That's one of the big questions we get since we listed book marketers um, on ReadSee. And yeah, there are several cases where I think it makes sense. Most of the collaborations we get that are really helpful is for someone who's starting out or who's starting out in a new genre and they want a proper marketing plan. So they want someone to organize their whole, for example, rapid release, uh, and to have a launch, kind of a launch schedule with uh, which price promotions am I going to book? When am I going to discount my book? Uh, when am I going to start the ads? Uh, and someone who kind of prepares everything. So these kind of marketing plans are are really really u- useful. And uh, then you can co execute them with the, with a the marketer. Um, then for authors who have books that are not selling, whether it's some of your backlist or all of your books. And you just you've tried everything or you feel like you've tried everything and and you don't know what's not working. can be really helpful to just ask a professional uh, to take a look at it. So we get a lot of uh, collaborations along simple consultations where the marketer is gonna is just gonna do a review of your um, of your online profile of all your book pages, your optimization, your SEO all that. Uh, and make recommendations. Uh, most, more often than not, those recommendations are gonna be simple. It's gonna be like change your cover, change your book description. Uh, but also they're gonna give tips on like how to get added to more categories, uh, how to change your, um, your, your Kindle keywords. Um, and generally leave you with one or two things to test next as a, as a marketing channel, whether that's Facebook ads or Amazon ads or book of ads. Um, so those consultations can be really, really great to, uh, to break um, a marketer's block, let's say, uh, to make the equivalent of a writer's block. And lastly, we have a few specialists on I Again, we have a lot of specialists on blurb, on blurb writing. A lot, Most authors hate writing their blurbs, their book descriptions. So you can hire a specialist to do it for you. And those generally tend to work really well. We've got a few authors who specialize in setting up mailing lists, a few marketers who specialize in setting up mailing lists. So we've got that as well. Uh, and I think, I think that can make sense if you don't want to, um, if you don't want to buy and read through Newsletter Ninja by Tammy Lebrecht, you can just hire someone to, to do the whole thing for you and leave you with your newsletter all, uh, all done with your mailing list all done with the automation, the reader magnet and all that. And finally, there are a few people like myself who are more often than not busy and not showing at all on Ritzi, uh, but sometimes showing, uh, who run ads uh, for authors. So I never run ads. My, my goal is not to run ads for someone forever unless they're, they're a six or seven-figure author and can afford it. Uh, my goal is more to work with an author on a one or two-month period, set up the ads, show them how I set them up, show them how to optimize them, and show them how to take over. So I that's the equivalent of like, instead of buying Mark Dawson's course, for example, you're with, with someone hand-in-hand hand who's just going to teach you more or less the same strategies, uh, but applied directly to your books and so that you can take over um, afterwards. So that's those are kind of the the few cases in which I think it makes sense to hire a book marketer. Um, but. Definitely don't expect to go in there hiring someone who's just going to do the marketing for you because that doesn't exist. Uh, that'd be too expensive.
3: Yeah, that's what I usually tell my clients. They're like, can you just do the ad, the ads for me? No, no, I can't. <laughs> um, and I like the the way you laid that out, all the different services that Reedy offers, um, especially the, you know, just setting things up and then showing people how to do it. I mean, how much do each of
2: these kinds of services cost generally? Um, so a full marketing plan is generally in the two to three thousand dollars, so that's probably one of the more expensive services um but again, that's for authors who've never done a marketing plan before uh authors who are starting out or authors as I said who are starting out in a new genre and and need that for ad management. I charge around 750 dollars per platform per month um so that's for Amazon ads, Facebook ads, and Google ads. And as I said, the idea is not to run them forever. I do it for some authors, um, but most of the time I try to just set it up uh, so that authors can run them on, on their own afterwards. And the other things, consultations, they vary a lot. Some of our marketers charge a lot for consultations. Um, most of them are gonna charge something like $250 to $300 an hour um, and generally send a report of like next steps after the consultation so yeah i mean i'm talking mostly fiction here because that's where i have most uh, most of my experience i know some of our nonfiction um marketers were really great charge a lot more and uh, the several thousands because here the game is more getting speaking gigs um getting presents at events conferences direct sales and all that so it's it's a whole different game or selling a course on the back end of your book or selling services through your book. So it's different ROI so you can afford to, to spend more. Um, it's a different marketing as well.
3: Yeah, good point about that. Um, most of our listeners are going to be fiction listeners, but um, I mean, we do have some nonfiction listeners and I mean, yeah, nonfiction hands down is generally easier because you do have that bigger spending pool because you do make more money on, on non-book stuff. Um so my next question is I mean so not just with Reedy, but with other services anybody basically so if any of our listeners decided to hire somebody to help them get things going how do they know if that person is doing a good job um what's the best way to follow up what's the best way to check what they're doing um and make sure that it's beneficial before you know approaching them and saying hey I don't like what you're doing
2: <laughs> Yeah uh, that's a really good question I think I think first, you got to go into this with, uh, with a lot of trust. So you got to make sure that you're ready to trust that person for at least a couple of months uh, and not start questioning uh, every decision. Um, then you also have to go into it with knowledge. I think it, it it's great to hire someone to run your Facebook ads if you know nothing about Facebook ads, but it's going to be a lot more beneficial if you're already familiar with how the platform works and some of the best practices. Like I always said before you have, before you hire uh, someone to run your Facebook ads, take the free course we have on REC about Facebook ads, because one, it's free, and two is going to teach you the basics. You don't need to do a bigger course or spend like tens of hours learning about Facebook ads, but you gotta know the basics of how the platform works uh, and how authors out there use it so that you can at least understand what your what your marketer is doing. And then it's a question of uh, being prepared for it not to work out. Uh, at the end of the day, what you're looking for is for the book to increase its sales. And no marketer, uh, no publicist, no one can guarantee that. Um, we can come close to it, but we can never really guarantee it. And if you see that mm, you're spending a lot of money on ads or you're spending a lot of money on that person, just be prepared to stop the collaboration. if you. At the moment, you lose the trust, basically. And that's reciprocal. Um, be prepared to say, Hey, I, it's, it's been great working with you. I owe you 500 months for 500 bucks for that first month. I learned a ton of things, but I don't think this is a strategy worth pursuing for me. Uh, so I'm not going to go for the second month. Um, and that's the best way, I think, in my opinion, to go about it. Because uh, again, yeah, there's never there's never a guarantee. So trust, knowledge, and be prepared to very pragmatically, very nicely, uh, very professionally um, stop things if you feel like they're not working out. All right. Now let's
1: suppose for a minute that you're running your own marketing campaign. There's tends to be a tendency for people to want to micromanage it, especially early on. Sometimes it's called for. Like this literally this morning i discovered that i had an overly broad keyword on an amazon ad that ate the entire daily budget in in 3 clicks so obviously i had mismatched the bid and selection on that one but when things are starting off slow it it, it you know misman- uh micromanaging might be a bad idea so like how do you know when it's time to make an adjustment to a marketing campaign
2: well wow, that's a really that's a t- that's a tough one um i think I think you gotta watch everything you do regularly, um, and you gotta—I mean—you gotta have a, I mean, a feeling of when you're when you're micromanaging or not. Um, I certainly wouldn't recommend watching Amazon ads every day. Uh, my experience with my experience with Amazon ads is that they're very frustrating because it takes time to gather data. Uh, so I watch them once a week. You can watch them twice or thrice a week, but every day is definitely too much because you won't have. You'll be, you'll make decisions based on very, very little data. That's not significant enough to make a decision on. Um, so know, know how each of your marketing channels, um, kind of works and when you need to reassess it. For example, if you've got a, another example, if you've got a, a mailing list automation, you don't need to change that automation, uh, every week. Uh, it's something that's kind of, uh, that you can leave there for several months unless obviously you you have a change in, for example, your, your backlist. Uh, if, in, if in your automation, you mentioned the, the different books in the series and you add another book in that series and you need to edit that automation to, uh, to add that book in. So it, it helps to kind of have a list of all the marketing efforts you've got going on. And for each marketing effort, have something about when do I need to watch it and when do I need to update it? So kind of uh, yeah, kind of a schedule if you if you work like that, with for every every channel you've got um, you've got going on.
1: Okay, now obviously up until now we've mostly been talking about uh, uh, doing ads for direct sales, but people also advertise sometimes to get uh, you know add people to their newsletter or to gain followers on various platforms. Like, what are your thoughts on advertising for that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, no, I love that. Uh, I mentioned, um, the conversion ads to a book funnel before. Those work really great. Uh, I think one of my latest clients were getting, um, we're getting signups to his newsletter for 30 cents, uh, 30 cents a sign up. So uh, that's pretty great. And we built him a 2000, 2000 reader mailing list before launching his first book or pretty cheap, so um, I I love those, especially for people starting out, or again, starting out in a new series, in a new new universe, in a new genre, where you have to build an audience from scratch before you you release your your book. Those are extremely powerful. Uh, Then you, an experiment I'm running right now with an author who has uh, published three books a while ago in a series, and they're kind of, uh, they're not selling that much anymore, so we've got a level, low-level plateau of sales to work from is setting up a reader magnet and getting him, um, subscribers to his mailing list through Facebook, uh, Facebook conversion ads to Book Funnel. And what we're going to look at is not only the cost of acquiring the, uh, acquiring those subscribers, but then those subscribers, when they get the automation about the paid books, because there's this low plateau of sales, we're going to see instantly whether that makes a difference in sales or not. Um, so that's going to be an interesting experiment to see whether, whether advertising for newsletter subscribers rather than direct sales actually has a direct impact on direct sales or not.
0: Yeah, we've, we've definitely talked to authors who have built like humongous lists by doing that, advertising to their free novella, prequel (laughs) or whatever, um, with your guys, you finding that. Is he asking for an email in exchange before they can download or do they get to download it for free and then he's got like a uh, sign up for my list and get something else at the end of the ebook? book
2: uh, No, generally it's, uh, it's you got to sign up to, to get the, the reader magnet. Uh, so book funnel has this very nice GDPR, GDPR compliant thing where it's written very clearly that you're signing up to an author's newsletter uh, in order to get the book. And and that, that works that works from a legal standpoint. And yeah, as I said, if you're spending even fifty cents to gain one subscriber, you can afford to spend like whatever you can afford to build a a, a real, really big um mailing list. Then it's a question of how you engage with that mailing list because obviously a Facebook lead's not gonna be as great as someone who's read your book and grabbed your reader magnet from the back matter of the book. Um, so you probably need to segment those Facebook leads and warm them up with uh, with an automation funnel that works really well. Um, yeah, you got to see whether it's worth it to you to have uh, a really really big mailing list that's not super engaged, or whether it's more worth it to advertise for direct sales uh, directly.
0: Yeah, we've we've had people on who have done two mailing lists, you know, sort of the back of the book. Mailing right. list that's the real engaged proven buyers, and then another one that they treat a little differently, and kind of lead into maybe you want to buy <laughs> buy my book.
2: Yeah, I'd definitely recommend that. It's I mean it's super easy to do within MailerLite, uh or other other email marketing systems out there. Just put a tag based on where they come from, and that makes your life easy afterwards.
0: All right, so beyond pay-per-click or pay-per-thousand-views ads that we have, is there anything else as far as marketing that you're seeing that's quite effective right now?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, it's not new, but videos are working really well, Um, especially on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, They generally get lower cost-per-clicks and conversions. And what I love about videos is that they create custom audiences as well. So that's part again of the whole blue ocean, uh, marketing thing. You create your own audience. So not only are you getting cheaper clicks because of video, but you can create a custom audience and a lookaloud audience based on all the people who view your video. Um, that's pretty powerful. And Facebook has the, so that's more for authors. who have got a pretty big brand and they want to play the brand angle. Um, You've got something Facebook calls instant experiences. It used to be uh, called canvas or collection ads. And you can basically display a video or a static image and a little carousel of four items below on top of the headline and the text and all the usual things. And then when people click on it, instead of going to Amazon or going to BookPal or going anywhere, they are displayed. They're showed an instant experience that you design within Facebook. They've got a little tool to to build it that that's very easy to use and i think that can be really cool for advertising a whole series or even a whole a whole universe where you have a trailer to introduce the series and the first four books in a carousel below people click on it and they get the video again Then they get a little blurb that they get in the carousel with the different books and they get a review then they get maybe another video or a reader magnet thing so that you you can basically advertise a bunch of things uh in one. I did that for an author, for Cozy Mystery author. We're advertising through that we're advertising both her, her books and her uh prequel her free prequel on BookFunnel. And she was getting um she was getting she was making her money back just through direct sales and on top of that getting a solid trickle of uh of BookFunnel uh subscribers uh thanks to that. So it's it's a nice way to advertise everything at once and let let readers choose what they're interested in, whether the paid books directly or starting with the a, a pre-prequel.
3: Okay, so, um, okay, oh, sorry, oh. <laughs> I stutter my way through it. <laughs> my husband's putting the baby down for a nap and he's crying, so I'm like, okay, trying not to pay attention to that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So how important is steady market market dripping? steady drip marketing versus big promotional pushes and how often do you recommend authors do big pushes
2: uh that's another really good question um so david govern came up with this uh this theory that i think is pretty right uh i think it was last year a couple of years ago and uh, that steady drip marketing works better if you're wide and big promotional marketing works better if you're in Kindle Unlimited. Um, so I would second that. I've definitely had better experience with big promotions for my KU authors. Uh, and I mean, his whole reasoning makes sense. So yeah, I mean, most of my clients are KU, and we're definitely having better luck with promotions. That's where you can really ride the charts, and we definitely see this huge wave of uh, of page reads uh, four days after the start of, uh, of the promotion and, uh, and the ads. Um, and that's, and after that steady drip marketing can work, but you need a long series cause it's going to be hard to get those, um those those conversions on a, on a full, full price book. So as an example, um, I've been working with a fancy author with very long series. Um, very, yeah, very successful, fancy New York Times bestselling, uh, fancy author, um, full price books in KU, the conversions to sales as tracked by Amazon Affiliate, another thing that you shouldn't do and that I don't endorse, uh, but that I did, um, showed that he was getting something like 1% or below 1% conversion on the Amazon book page. Uh, and so, and I've had that experience with a lot of author authors in KU, obviously we have no idea whether people are borrowing through KU because Amazon doesn't tell you that even with the affiliates or Amazon store attribution or any attribution that Amazon makes available to us. So there's that unknown, but I mean, lower than 1% conversion to sales is just impossible. It makes it impossible to get a positive ROI, even if there, it's a long series of like 17 books at $4.99. Um, so um, that's my experience. What we're doing now is advertising first in series, but no, not first in series, advertising box sets of the first three books. Box sets draw at zero uh, ninety nine, and we're seeing a much, much, much stronger conversion of those and those ads are really working uh, because people are buying the box set and then, um, I mean, we are just started, so hopefully they're going to make their way through series, but that's, that's what we expect, basically. Um, so I'd say... If you're going to run Facebook ads or even steady drip marketing, it's going to work a lot better if you have something cheap at the start of uh, at the beginning of the series. Uh, that's my experience with Facebook ads. Amazon ads are a lot better uh, for, for steady drip, um, but I'm not a big fan of <laughs> Amazon ads and and yeah, I have less experience with those. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm more, I like more, I like Facebook and BookBot more and those work obviously better for, for promotions uh, or free books. So so yeah, it's a bit ironic that the one advertising platform that works better for drip full price marketing uh, is the one exclusive to Amazon, whereas steady drip marketing works better for wide than for KU. It's a bit of a shame, but yeah, that's how it is.
1: Now, just generally speaking of, of advertising, uh, large scale advertising can sometimes feel really self-defeating because even if you're like shoveling $10,000 in a month and you're getting 20,000 out, obviously it's a, it's a winning proposition. But by that, you, by the time you reach that level, you're spending an enormous amount of time and energy on advertising and that, uh, that, that time must be coming away from something and it's going to be writing. So like, how, how does somebody, uh, assess the correct balance of advertising versus productivity?
2: Yeah, I think when, when you're, when you're doing those big advertising campaigns. So first, you can hire someone to help you with that. Um, and second, you can get really productive at it. I don't think the, the Facebook ads we run on ReadSea, we spend big amounts on them. And I don't watch those every week. Honestly, I, I watch them every two weeks. Um, when you have a big audience, for example, on Facebook, when you have a big audience, and you've got an app that's working well or a dynamic a mix of dynamic ads that's working well, you can not touch those for two weeks and it's going to keep a very, very consistent cost per click and cost per conversion. So you don't need to monitor those every day. Amazon ads, as I said, they're a little bit more complicated, but there's no point in watching them every day because you don't get enough data on them. BookBub ads are a lot more time intensive because you got to run a lot of author tests and, and creative tests. So that's where a lot of time can be eaten away. But honestly, I think that if you're well organized and you know when to look at things and you're not you're not micromanaging basically your advertising, um, whether you're spending 1K or 10K uh, a month, you don't necessarily need to look at it that much more.
0: All right, just a couple of questions here and we'll let you go to bed since it's <laughs> getting late over there and... Spain. um i am curious you mentioned that you like bookbub ads um could you talk a little bit about you know how are they doing for you any tricks that you recommend for those of us who struggle to get a good click-through rate over there
2: so yeah i like bookbub ads because i like the logic behind them of testing the author targets and testing the images and all that uh i'll say that i'm really bad at them so far uh so i haven't tried the code i just i just find them logical and it's True that the more you test, um, the more images you create, the more small things you test, uh, the better the results become. So that's what I like. Uh, whereas Amazon ads, the more time I spend with them and sometimes the, the worse they get. Uh, so I, I don't find the logic in Amazon ads as much as I find the logic in, in BookBub ads. Uh, and But yeah, tips for, for good uh, click-through rates. The things that have worked for me is testing... Um, a lot of, uh, author targets. So again, going through the also boats on Amazon, um, taking all the names, putting them, testing them. Anything that has, um, 10,000 readers or more that I can target, I put them alone. Uh, if they have something like two, three or five thousand, I group them with others, uh, in an ad. I spend around 10, 15 bucks on, on, on each ad. And I think you gotta be very methodical in your testing. Um, and you shouldn't be testing creatives and targets at the same time because you, you won't know what, if you get a good CTR on something, you won't know whether it's because of the creative or the target. So test one thing at a time. I usually start with creatives. I pick a mix of like obvious, uh, target authors and test four or five different creatives. And I take the winning one and test it across different, uh, author targets, et cetera. Um, And I mean, I've heard of, uh, I talked to an author at Ning who gets, who managed to get an 18% CTR on a BookBub ad, and that was just through hundreds of tests. So I don't think there's any real big secret on there, aside from being really good at creating images um, and testing a lot.
0: I think that's part of it there. And why so many authors like, yes, Amazon ads, I don't have to like go to Canva and (laughs) create anything. (laughs) Well, the last yes. thing we... Oh, sorry. Did you have something now? No,
2: add? No, no, it's No, it's totally true, yeah. It, they, they're easier. But I don't find them as logical in that. Yeah, that bugs me.
0: And it's probably more competitive now, too, because everybody's doing Amazon ads. So the last thing we want to ask you is you mentioned that Reedy is opening up to literary translators... Um, Can you talk about, you know, for people that have the money to spend on this and are interested in trying to gain a foothold in the international market, do you have any tips for that?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think people have been asking us about literary translation for a long time now, uh, pretty much since we launched. And we were pretty reluctant of doing that because we didn't think it made sense uh, for anyone really to get translated until very, until pretty recently. the reason for that is that I, until two years ago, I hadn't met a single German author who was making a living self-publishing on the German store. Uh, I met one for the first time at Frankfurt Book Fair two years ago. So that's when I thought, okay, then the German market is probably ready. And this year I met several French authors who were making, I think, six figures uh, on the French store by self-publishing on Amazon.fr. Um, I know an Italian author who makes a living out of uh, self-publishing out of his probably one book only, uh, thriller on, um, on Amazon.it. Uh, um, his wife is one of the marketers, uh, on RIT and helped him with the marketing. So that certainly helps. So I think now that on, on top of that, now that Amazon has launched, uh, ads, uh, is allowing us to run ads on those different country stores. It's a really great time to move into those markets. Very, very low competition. People don't know how to do Amazon marketing on there. So even if you don't know the language, you have a huge advantage in that you know how Amazon works. Um, And I'm being centered on Amazon here because... Yeah, that's the number one story in in those other countries as well. Uh, And... Yeah, you're gonna come in with that marketing advantage. You're gonna come in with that advantage of running Amazon ads in a place where no one is running ads. I think uh, Mark Dosan now, uh, right now, can't stop talking about his ads in in Germany, uh, and we can all see how uh, unknowingly well he's doing uh, on there. And yeah, those are those are blue oceans. Those are basically blue oceans where you can go advertise right now. Um, so I'd say if you're making Probably six figures in the in in the American in the English speaking market, then it can make sense for you to start targeting the German market that's the number one after English and uh, that's uh, that's one where uh, ebook consumption is the highest in Europe so that's the number one I'd go after and uh the way I'd go after it is probably get at least one book translated ideally two three if you can afford it. Keep in mind that cost of translation is around $0.10 per word. So that can go up to 8k for an 80,000-word novel. That's the range of translators you're going to find on ReetSea. Again, upper end of the market, we only have professionals on there. Um, So that's a pretty big investment. But I'm pretty sure that right now is the best time to recoup that investment if you're among the first movers to do that
0: do you have any thoughts on maybe which genres that maybe do well in the U S might also do well in some of these other markets and maybe which would not like I've heard like civil American civil war, maybe not that big in Italy. I don't know.
2: (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, I think we have a blog post on that, but since I didn't read it, I didn't do the research. I don't remember exactly. I think sci-fi and fantasy is pretty popular in Germany. Um, So that's, I mean, um, Blaze Ward, uh, another Ning author, translated, uh, got one of his novela- novellas translated into German and did really well with that. And I think he's moving on with more translations in there. So I think, yeah, sci fi, fancy, thriller in Germany, uh, I've seen a lot of successes there. I think the Romans in Italy works okay. Um, Thriller must work well as well. Uh, but yeah, romance, I think bella Andre was among the first ones to and Deborah Holland have gotten uh, Italian translations. They did that several years ago and I'm not sure if they broke even. But I'm thinking that if you were to do it now, if they were to do it now, they probably would break even. Um, what else? French. The French market is a lot more literary. Uh, so if you've got books that are in a commercial genre but with more of a literary feel, that will generally appeal to to a French audience. No cliches whatsoever <laughs> here. Um, and yeah, those are main things I could think about. Yeah.
0: Awesome. And and where is that on on Reedsy? I think Andrea was saying that you said this is brand new, right? The translation stuff.
2: Yeah, it's brand new. We don't have a landing page for it yet. We've got a couple of blog posts on our, on our blog. So if you go to our blog, you'll find a couple of blog posts about translation. And if you just log in to read, see, to access our marketplace, you're going to see editors, designers, marketers, and you're going to see translators as well in there. So you can obviously search by, uh search by genre, search by keyword uh, and search by uh, language pairs. So English to German, English to Italian, English to Spanish. Uh, we've got a real a lot of, uh, a lot of really big names, especially in science, science, uh, sci-fi and science, well, wow. in science fiction and fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
0: that's okay. It's getting late. We're going to let you go. If there's any, <laughs> give us anything we may have forgotten to ask you and, and remind us, you know, the services that you haven't mentioned or anything else you want to tell us about Reetze before you go.
2: No, I think that must be one of the few times I've managed to cover everything. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mentioned the, uh, the free courses where discovery, I we have got this free formatting tool that a lot of people, uh, like as well. So I know most authors, um, use Volum nowadays and love it. If you don't want to invest, uh, into Vellum for any reason, then try the Roots, the rich book editor first, um, because it's free, it works on any device. So you can access it from uh, anywhere. You'll need to have a Mac. You can access it's browser based, so you can access it for anywhere in the world. And there aren't as many customization possibilities as with Vellum. You're not going to be able to add like uh, little flowers in the corners and stuff. Uh, but you're still going to have a pretty professional and good looking um, ebook and uh, print ready book at the end of the day. So it's worth it's worth a try. And if you come up with a better name for the tool than Reet Book Editor, we're really interested because we're looking to change that name. So I'm. More than happy to hear options
0: it's for formatting
2: it's for Should formatting be... yeah okay. um you you can <laughs> write in you you can no so the thing you can write in there as well we get a lot of people writing in there. It's a very clean uh, nice and clean writing interface. We've added track changes and commenting uh so <laughs> uh, Joe says like... to
0: call it write so there you go write <laughs> c on read i
2: I'll take that name. Not very SEO friendly, but, but definitely on brand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there you go. Right C and then you do the subtitle, the editing slash formatting slash all you need for eBooks tool.
2: <laughs> exactly. But yeah, there's, there's going to be some pretty exciting, exciting news on the, on that end soon. We're going to basically have a multi-author and author editor and author beta reader collaboration in there with track changes. Um, and commenting in a much, much nicer interface in words. So we're hoping to convince authors to move away from uh, from this horrible word. Uh, so we'll see.
0: All right, so you're basically taking over the world. One one yeah, author but, at a time.
2: <laughs> exactly, we're starting with Microsoft and then we'll, we'll do the rest.
0: All right, well thank you very much for joining us, Ricardo. And um, thank you for listening everyone. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can leave a question or comment or find the show notes at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. And of course, we've got that Facebook group just for listeners. If you want to come on by, search for Six Figure Authors or the link will be in the show notes. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you, everyone. Have a
3: great week. Thank you so much. See you later, everyone.
1: So long, everybody.